Welcome to the Investor Mama podcast, money conversations with a mom's touch. Your host, Jen Narciso, interviews amazing guests each week to help you become educated, be inspired by other money stories, and stay motivated on your own wealth-building journey. No matter where you are financially, whether you're in debt or financially free, this podcast is for you. Now sit back and enjoy. Welcome back to the Investor Mama podcast, money conversations with a mom's touch. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Elise Rasmussen. Elise is awesome. She's doing so many amazing things in the real estate world. She and her family live in California, which is a crazy expensive market, but that doesn't stop her from investing. So instead, they invest out of state and her and her husband primarily focus in Tennessee. And she'll share more about how she does it in today's episode, which I'm really excited for you to hear because she drops a lot of awesome nuggets and tips. So if you are thinking about investing out of state yourself, I highly encourage you to listen to this episode. This episode was recorded a little while back. And since the time of this recording, she and her husband have purchased a lot more properties in Tennessee. Well, you could follow her on Instagram. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. She's also been interviewed on the Bigger Pockets Rookie Show. She talked about five steps to reach financial independence in 15 years. It was a really great episode. I'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. But she's just really doing it all. And she's a mom. And it's just so impressive, everything she's put together for her and her family. But before we dive into today's episode, I just want to remind you that I am launching the Investor Mama's three-day live mini course on money mindset. I highly encourage you to go check it out if you're tired of being in debt, if money's always on your mind and always stressing you out. We're gonna get to the root of that. We're gonna dig deep. We're gonna change your money story because in order to get out of debt, you gotta get in the right mindset, the right framework, or you're gonna just keep getting back into it. I've seen this happen over and over again, and I don't want that to be you. I want you to start 2021 with a bang. Let's get your financial house in order. Let's make 2021 the year you get out of debt or the year you start building real wealth. And if you're a mom or a dad, if you're a parent, I strongly believe you owe it to the next generation to get your financial house in order first and set the right example for them so they can follow in your footsteps and and grow well for their families and for the next generation. So please, please, please check out. It's January 5th through January 7th. It's three three nights, 8 p.m., Eastern Standard Time. It's going to be amazing. Really go check it out. You can go to investormama.com slash get educated. Again, that's investormama.com slash get educated. It's all one word. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can purchase your tickets. If you're married and you want to do this with your spouse so you can get on the same page, great. If you want to get your money story right first before you get your spouse involved, I totally get that too. Maybe bring a friend or you know whatever makes sense for you in your current situation, but this will be a safe space for for you to really dig deep, really get out the heart of your money story, of your money mindset, and then start to change it and so that you could really launch into 2021 with a bang. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Elise to the show. Why don't we start with you telling us about your money story? Thank you. Yes. So I'm 32 years old. My husband is also 32 and we have an almost two-year-old daughter. We've been investing just shy of three years. And during that time, we've acquired six properties. It's seven doors though, because one of those is a duplex. So the other five properties are single family homes, which is our bread and butter. 
the reason that we're doing this is we want time freedom. So my Instagram handle is investing for financial freedom, but essentially that financial freedom is really all about time freedom and being able to spend quality time with our family. Where do you live now and where are you investing? So we live in California. So that is the primary reason that we're investing out of state. We want to go where the money makes sense and that doesn't always equate to your backyard. So we invest in four different states. We have properties in Indiana, Florida, Kentucky, and Tennessee. And the last three properties have been in Tennessee. Awesome. So let's start from the beginning a little bit. What pushed you to look at a state? Because my husband and I, the property values are crazy high. And we've been talking about investing out of state, but what first steps did you take to actually, one, feel comfortable to even do it, and two, to even identify which markets you'd be interested in investing in? Yeah, so that's exactly right. When you say when there's high price points, that's a very good reason to invest out of state for for us. It was that entry point in other markets that's just that much lower and time is money. So the earlier you can start and you can have someone paying down your equity. So we wanted to start right away investing out of state and having our money work for us. We invested in a vacation rental 50-50 with our in-laws and maybe we were about 27 years old at the time. And I think that got our brains thinking, wow, what if we could do this full time and have that investment and have people paying that for us full time. And also that vacation property, the, the the manager was taking 28%. So, um, oh, wow. How did that happen? Because usually yeah, that's, 10%. Yeah. So that's, it's different with the short-term rentals, especially. So that was in Big Bear Lake. I don't know if you're familiar with the area in Big Bear Lake, California, but they all take about 28, 30%. They charge the customers a, a high amount. So you get to see more money at the end of the day. And so that's what we were thinking. We said, what if we can have a full-time renter where the property management company just takes 10% or 8% and those numbers looked better to us. Honestly, we weren't visiting the vacation cabin as much as we used to. So we did the math and we're like, we can just go rent it instead and have have these investment properties. So we were close to 30 by the time we made that decision. And in late 2016, we joined a real estate network and a lot of their information was about out of state areas. And they offered different things. Some were more for appreciation and some gave more cash flow. So I kind of targeted and zeroed in on Indianapolis, Indiana, which was cash flow with also appreciation. So it was kind of a twofer. And within three months, we scheduled our flight. There was a referral right to the agent and to the property management company. And we met them, looked at houses and made our offer. So it all kind of, by the time we made our decision, it all happened fairly quickly for us. So two questions. One, was your daughter born yet at this time? Or it sounds like it may have been right before. This was before our daughter was born. Yeah, our very first property. We were trying for quite a while to conceive for like five years, actually. Oh, wow. So this was before before Maddie. And then I know you said you picked Indianapolis because of appreciation and cash flow, but did you do any market research to really hone in that this was the place you wanted and the neighborhoods and all that? Yeah, so we did. And I mean, we went into like population and and who are the big employers. And we also relied on our agents because our agent knew the neighborhood. So I was kind of zeroing in on the ones that had the higher rent to value ratio and had a whole list of properties that I wanted to go see. And of course, he's the, the expert in the area. 
And he's like, you're not going to want to go there. But of course he learned my lesson. We went to a couple and I'm like, okay, I'll take a little, little lesson <laughs> because at the end of the day, right, that does affect your numbers. You know, if you have vacancy and turnover and make ready costs because they are not so nice on your property or you have to evict or whatever, these things do affect your bottom line at the end of the day too. So it's just trying to find a house that is desirable. And especially if you can find tenants that are apt to stay in that property, and then you don't have those costs that really helps your bottom dollar. I love that you had set criteria for selecting your market because investing out of state can be scary. And so it's really great that you had those criteria to use to help weed out what areas you liked and what areas you didn't beforehand. I feel like that would be extremely beneficial. And I like the criteria that you selected. And just to clarify, rent to value ratio is essentially a percent of what the, your rent will be for the property and you divide that by the purchase price and that's what your rent to value ratio is. So the higher the rent to value, the better an investment is. But going back to your story, you're mainly focused on investing in single families, correct? We are mostly single families. And it was kind of interesting that house in Indiana, it was in such a cute little community. So I was not worried about desirability, but it was the first one that I would looked at with an HOA. So here in California, the HOAs are somewhere from 250 to like $500. But over there, the HOA was 20 bucks. So I said, oh my goodness. That's <laughs> <laughs> like unheard of so in the Northeast. No problem. We will write that in as a cost, you know? So, and with that, they get little splash pads, they get a community pool, and you know that they're going to have upkeep in that neighborhood. Of course, we've gotten little letters about our tenant needs to put their trash cans away, or they're really worried about small stuff like that. But overall, we know that that neighborhood is maintained, and there's a desirability factor. And sorry, just to clarify again, HOA, just in case you don't know, it's essentially a homeowners association, certain condos or neighborhoods have these it's a fee that you'd put in, but they take maintain part of the community for you. So there's pros and cons to these. I'm not going to go into it. But Elise, I know you said your agent was the one that was an expert and really helped you. How did you f even find this agent, though, when you're living in California? That's not something that's so easy. And that could be a huge barrier for someone who's looking to invest out of state. Yeah. So that's that good part about that real estate network. They were a referral and that particular network is a little different. It's not just a real estate association where people go. It, they actually monetized it where their name is Marshall Reddick. They monetized it. So they got a little piece, not from, from the buyer, but from the end, they got a little chunk of change from the agent and then also something from the property management company. When it's scale and do lots of business, that it makes it worth it for those agents and property management companies. But the only difference is, is that uh, network really narrows in on turnkey properties. And for us, you don't get as much bang for your buck. So we, of course, use their referrals, but we found our own properties. And is this... Um global or national company? Can other people throughout the country find them? Yeah, absolutely. They are throughout the US. I don't believe they're global, but it was really, really helpful. They have guides online going into every single market area that they recommend. And there's lots of information on these guides about different market areas and why they have selected them. And then they kind of handhold you through the process, especially as a first-time homebuyer or a first-time investor. So yeah, we, we enjoyed that process. We just put our own little, little spin on it to find deals that made sense for us. And I'll put the name of the company and a link to them in the show notes. Very cool. So you have your first property. It's going well. How did you, you found your property manager, I'm assuming through the same company, through Marshall Reddick. How was that transition? Were they good to work with? Did you have any issues, any stumbling blocks in the beginning? 
They were. They were actually very helpful. One of the issues that we had, this actually was a pretty turnkey property. It just had better numbers than the other ones that were being offered. And it was one that we found that had just come on market. So it was pretty turnkey, except for there was a smoke smell. So the the owner slash real estate agent, she was also an agent, it, it smelled like cigarette smoke. So we thought this property is ready to go. We just need to use an ozone machine to get that smell out. So very minimal cost, everything else. I mean, the flooring, the carpet, everything was great, granite countertops, but the ozone machine didn't work. So they started showing the property to prospective tenants and that was the feedback that they were getting. So we had to go ahead and do new carpet, new flooring. So that is something to consider for people. If you think it's going to be simple, not always, and it will cost you. So it ended up costing us about $2,500 instead of the few hundred. And as soon as we did that, the property rented right away. That's really cool. And just if you're new to real estate, I just wanted to clarify a turnkey property is essentially a property that's fully renovated. They could come with a tenant. It's been fully rehabbed. There's property management. Everything's in place. So Turnkey companies are great if you have some money, you want to get started in real estate, but you don't have a lot of time or you don't want too much of the risk, you hire a turnkey company. Usually there's less return for you because you're paying more money out of pocket for the turnkey company to manage everything. Again, there's pros and cons with everything. I could do a whole episode on turnkey companies, which I may do so down the line, but at a high level, the pro of turnkey is that everything's literally turnkey for you. You, It's ready to go. The con is that you don't uh, profit, you don't make as much cash flow. And so at least if you don't mind, I would love for you to just dive into the numbers a little bit so my listeners can learn and go through what your thought process, what you were thinking of when you were purchasing this property. Yeah. So please keep in mind, this is our first property and it was more turnkey. So the numbers aren't as great um, as we're getting now, but we purchased the property for 98.5. And then again, with that rent, it was about 2,500 all in. So that's 101. What were your closing costs in that in Indianapolis about approximately? Oh gosh. What is like probably 3% of the 98.5? Oh, okay. Whatever that is. <laughs> two, two, 3% of, of is usually the closing cost. So about $3,000, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because up here it could be twelve or fifteen thousand, so big difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then just the twenty five hundred, and we run it for ten seventy five. And that that tenant actually has not left; they're still there to this day. So when you set aside money for vacancy, it's great when you don't have to have the vacancy. Or again, if you're getting a newer property, we haven't had to have the maintenance expenditures and all those things that we set aside. So luckily, we've had a little more cash flow than than we calculated. And what's your reserve typically look like per property? What do you feel? Oh boy. So it's an inevitable (laughs) question. (laughs) I know. So, okay. So to be honest with you, our numbers are going to look different than a lot of other investors. As far as expenses, if I can just talk about expenses for one second, I know people do five, 10% cap back, whatever. I'm going to tell you right now, we low ball, (laughs) are some of these expenses. And I will tell you why I'll justify it. If you, if you give me the chance when we go in and if it's a newer property, like that property was 2008 or whatever it was, it's a fairly newer property. Everything was in great order. We had just put in new flooring, new paint, your maintenance costs aren't going to be the same, right? And your CapEx isn't going to be the same and same for the properties that we're now burring 
we have much smaller expenses. So we, we make them like 5% CapEx, 5% repairs. And then we might do 8.3% vacancy, which is the equivalent of one month out of the year. And again, we're not even getting that one month out of the year vacancy. So, right, I think one month, one divided by 12, it's something like 8%. Yeah. So, so we, we lowball it and then we still end up on the right side, believe it or not, so far. <laughs> That's great. Oh, you use the word burring, if you wouldn't mind just defining that for people who don't yeah. know what that is. Yeah. So our strategy has changed over the years. We now do burr um, and burr is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Essentially what that means is you're trying to find a property, maybe 70%, 75% all in. So your purchase price and your rehab budget. And when you have that 20, 25% equity at the end of the day, and you have that new refinance that tells you this property is worth X amount, you can refinance the money out of it and get all of your money back. So it's it's a great strategy. You do have to find value add properties quite a bit under market value, and then you can refinance your money back out of them. So where are you burrowing now and what are your numbers look like? Yeah. So the last three properties have been in Tennessee. And we are pretty much getting our money back out of the property. So we have one under under renovation right now, but the previous two that we bought in Tennessee, I think one we ended up leaving six grand in and then the other property we got all our money back out of. So those are good gets. Basically, you want to just be able to get most or all of your money back out of the deal. That's awesome. And would you mind just kind of, again, high level for Tennessee, what would a typical purchase price, typical rehab and then typical rents be? Yeah. So actually Clarksville is a huge city. So you'll find with, with it's, there's like 130,000 residents. So you'll find with the bigger cities, there's a much larger range. You can get properties, maybe as low as like 70 grand, but then there's properties that go up to a couple million, depending on the acreage and the land where they are. We like maybe like B minus class areas, not too much crime and the houses aren't too old. Could you define B minus neighborhoods? Yeah, so that's pretty much uh, C and D. You'll you'll see a lot more crime and, and older houses. So we, we like like B minus maybe C plus, so we can get a little more of the cash flow. And it, it's kind of a compressed market. It's kind of um, a market that people are turning to now. So we have found those through auction. Actually, two of the three properties in Tennessee that we've purchased have been through auction. And you know, just for your listeners, for that you do have to have cash, quote unquote, to go ahead and, and purchase through that, that auction website. We buy them online. We look for vacant properties that our agent can go walk through ahead of time and our contractor can go and walk through ahead of time so we can get our numbers ready to go so we know our max budget because it's kind of excitable online. You don't want to overbid because you get to increments of like 200 bucks. So it's a little easy to say, oh, what's another 200 bucks or, or whatever. So yeah, we go in and walk the properties ahead of time. And I think you, you said you wanted me to get specific and give an example on one. Yeah, just this Tennessee market, what that would look like for someone who, again, is out of state, has no idea, but wants to create some extra income. What kind of numbers would they be looking at? And then also, well, let's start there first. Okay. So the first auction property we purchased, and I don't think these deals are there anymore. They're a little higher, but we purchased it for 56. Awesome. And the rehab budget was 25. I want to say the after repair value was somewhere between 105 and 110. After everything, closing costs, the whole nine yards, we ended up leaving about six grand in that deal. Which is awesome. Your cash, yeah. cash is fantastic. 
Yeah. And it pays for itself, right? The whole point of these for us is, is to have these properties pay for themselves. And I think that's, you know, what most, most investors are looking for. It's a little cash flow on the side, but we don't, we don't ever end up touching that. We just put all the money into, into the account and save that for a rainy day, anything for our properties. Because again, we just want that money to be there to pay for our properties and pay for themselves. And then the latest rehab that we're working on currently, we bought it at auction for 78 and again, we're putting 25 into it. Uh, 25% you mean? No, 25,000. Oh, oh, for, yeah, for yeah. the rehab. Okay, okay. Yeah, 25 for the rehab. The auction, you have to pay 100%. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wish. <laughs> like, do you I know some you. Uh, auction? Yeah, and, and auction.com, I know I gave them a shout out. That's not the only one. There's other auction websites like zome.com, X-O-M-E. But you do have to filter out. So if you're an out-of-state investor like myself, right, we have to filter out the online auctions. There's a lot of in-person auctions and there's, there's quite a bit less of the online. You don't get as much of an inventory. So yeah, so we're in that. And the after repair value, like I said, I think we bought it for like 78. We're putting 25 into it. And the after repair value is going to be 145. Awesome. What kind of rents were you getting on both properties? Yeah, so this one isn't rented yet, but it should expect eleven hundred if we don't flip and sell it. It's so funny; even the contractors are wanting to buy it because it's a double lot and it has a basement, and their you know their minds are going crazy, and it has a whole bunch of storage. So they're talking about purchasing it from us, but I think we're probably going to rent it. We we are buy and hold. So that one is eleven hundred or so, and then the other one is eight seventy five in rent, I believe. And how much do you typically cash flow after factory and vacancy, your capital, your maintenance? Yeah. So if you talk to any burr investor, it's the cash flow is low because you took the money out of it. It's yeah. less cash flow, but it's higher return on investment on your cash. So I think our, if we're going to the one that's actually a completed burr, I think our return on investment on cash is like 41% and our cash flow um, after expenses is like a hundred dollars. <laughs> That's not bad though. Cause you have someone else paying down the mortgage. That's You're right. owning an asset. And just to back up a second, for those who don't know, BRRRR is not something that's very cold, although that is true. BRRRR actually stands for buy, rehab, then you rent it out, and then you refinance to get your money back out, and then you repeat it. So it's a wonderful strategy. That's really great. And now, so Elise, are you taking out 30-year mortgages when you refinance? Yeah, some of them are 30s, some of them are 15s, and some of them are 15s uh, balloons. So we, we have a, quite a few different, we have some conventional and non-conventional loans going on. And how do you sleep at night with balloons? Yeah, so here's the, the long story. We're moving in three years, so and we have a, a nest egg in our, our California house, if you can imagine anywhere that the, the property values are high. So we're just going to take that and apply it to the non-conventionals. And then the other thing you can do, even if people weren't going to pay them off in a few years' time like we are, you can just refi out before the 15 years. Just do it with some solid, like a year in advance. I would even, wouldn't even wait until last minute, but you can just refi out. Yeah, especially if the market turns, you want to make sure. I know there's yes. a recession. I don't know when the recession's coming, but I know it's coming. And Amen. Anyone that's investing now, honestly, it should be for cash flow. I've, I've never been a speculative investor anyway. Like I don't speculate and look to uh, for appreciation. It's just a bonus. But yeah, looking into this market, you should be doing it for cash flow to be conservative. So let's talk now because you are a mom and yeah. your daughter is here. Maddie is here and you're doing yeah. this out-of-state investing. How is... Being a mom and working in the real estate business, are you flying to these places to see these homes? Are you bringing her with you? 
what's that kind yeah. of the relationship look like? Yeah. And I love that this is a part of your podcast, that this is your podcast, Jen. So honestly, she is a part of this. I know she's very young, but she has flown out with us. She looks at properties. We try to make it fun for her. You know, as an out-of-state investor, you don't get to drive for dollars much unless when you fly out, you know, you anticipate and schedule some extra time. But like the other day, we were in Tennessee checking out our properties and looking at our current rehab. And we went driving for dollars and she had a blast. We, we went to some open houses and she was having fun going through the properties with us. And then we brought a little mat for her to sleep on and you just they're a part of it. And I think she's really going to enjoy it as she grows up knowing that we're doing this for the family. And what's uh, driving for dollars? Yeah. Driving for dollars is honestly <laughs> just drive around like for us, the neighborhoods that, that you like, that you want to invest in, that you want to find a deal, quote unquote, right? So you're looking for a market value add. So you're looking for a property that maybe is a little more dilapidated. So for us, it was real exciting. We would see roofs with tarps on them. We're like, pull over. (laughs) If we see tarps on the roof or really unmaintained houses or things are leaning or whatever, it, it was kind of fun. We were just writing down the addresses and we will be following up with those. And that was our first time doing it that way, but we are progressing as we're, as we're learning. And that was something that we had been wanting to do. It's a little more difficult, like I said, as an out-of-state investor, but we scheduled some time for it and we will be following up with those homeowners. You can look them up online and find out if they're interested in selling. Yeah. How do you find their contact info to actually connect with them? My husband will look up through the property and the tax assessors and everything else. And he will, I mean, he has everything, how much they, they owe on the property. Uh, that's awesome that you guys tag team together as a husband wife. Yeah. Was he always on board or did you have to convince him or did he have to convince you? Yeah, we complement each other really well. So initially I wasn't always a real estate investor. I um, also stock pick and do some stock investing. And so he got into that with me when, you know, I brought that to him and, and I feel like he is just as on board as I am with real estate. The way that we look at it is we are going to shave at least 20 years off of our retirement. And we, we have things that we just, we have strengths in for real estate, right? So I think I'm pretty good at design choices and picking paints and things like that and finding the houses and finding the neighborhoods and then building relationships and networking. We just have different strengths. And he is really great at diving deep, deep into the numbers and like tax things. He will create depreciation schedules for our CapEx. So like, oh, we just replaced an AC. So here's the depreciation schedule for this so yeah, we, we bring different things to the table. And honestly, it's, it's fun to have a conversation that we're both passionate about and it's for our family. So I'm just curious how you got him on board originally. Was it easy? Were you just like, I want to do real estate? And he's like, okay, great. Or were you yeah. have more in depth? Okay, so we're about to build our family and we're, we're going to do out of state investing. These are some of the risks. These are the pros, the cons. Yeah. So we had already done that vacation rental in Big Bear. And I think we started to both have some conversations because it wasn't paying for itself, right? We, we got to enjoy it and we got some money to supplement our mortgage payment. And it really got our brains working. And we just would have some conversations like, what would this look like if we had a full-time renter? And we were looking in that area and the full-time renter in that area would not right, pay that rent. And so that got our brains thinking, well, where would it? you know? And when we joined this real estate network, which actually my parents knew about and referred us to, that's when our whole world changed. And we just started engaging in that conversation together 
about where do we, and I, and I picked the area, to be honest with you. I, I did research on all the area and I said, this is where I want to go. This is why I think this is the place to go for our first, our first purchase. And he was very, very willing. And if I could even share one more story, I yeah. think it was our third property. I had never even talked to him about Florida, like about like we need to purchase in Florida. And I found the perfect duplex. And I remember telling him, I'm like, Todd, we need to make an offer on this now. And I hadn't been in full conversations with him about Florida, but I had been researching that area and was looking. And that's, that's when I came across this property and he was like, okay. (laughs) And I was even like taken aback. And I was like, do you trust me? And he's like, yeah. And so I remember I told the agent, like make the offer. And he really didn't even know much about the market area. That was uncommon in our purchase history, but that, that property. Yeah. He is, he is very supportive. I look back to that property. I'm like, wow, you really didn't know much before we went into that one. That's awesome. And so how is it managing four different states? You have properties in four different states. Yeah. So I think that, and I'm sure you feel this way too. I think a lot of people, when they find out that, you know, you're a real estate investor, they think we get called all the time and people are calling us about leaky toilets or whatever. That seems to be the thing. And our property managers are excellent for little things. They each have a reserve for small repairs and things like that. They keep some money on reserve. We don't get huge phone calls. We'll get some emails, some updates, but essentially we get called when it's time to release or here's the market value now. Do you want to up the market rent? We get called very little. So it's not too difficult if you have good property managers and that's really important. I don't care what the numbers look like, where you go, unless there's a good property manager in place, it is not worth it. They say something like you date your, you date your agent, but you marry your property manager. And it's so true. That's that long term. They're going to help your, each, each house is a business and they're going to help each of your little businesses thrive. Have you used Marshall Reddick for the other properties or just your first one? We use them for two of our six purchases. Yeah. So how'd you find the other property managers and what should someone look out for when hiring them? Yeah. So I'm big on client testimony. So I think I looked up some property managers in the area because first I was looking for the property management company and I found one that was very well, but it was, there was a lot of recommendations. So that's honestly how I found the one in Tennessee. And it just so happened that the agent and property management, it was in one. So it actually is very helpful when we go to our properties because I can have my agent go there. And then that same day I can expect an after repair value, right? Which is the agent side. And then she'll give me market rents, which is the property management side. So in one go with one visit, I'm able to have that. And oftentimes the contractor meets her at the property and walks through. They have a very good relationship because she's that property manager. So they want to make property managers happy. They get lots of business from them. So it's, it's really helpful. So in one go, by the end of the day, usually I'll get, I'll get numbers. So it's funny because we're looking in Alabama right now and we have a kind of a similar structure with our, the property manager we're looking at. But the one thing I thought about as a negative, and I don't know yet because we haven't actually pulled the trigger yet on a purchase, but I like having checks and balances and having a property manager who's also an agent. I feel like there's a conflict of interest that of course, as an agent and as like they want us to purchase. So they're a little bit biased towards what we would want to do. So I'm curious if you found the same challenge as well or how you've handled that. That's actually worked in our favor a couple times in a, in a few different ways. They of course want to have the properties, like you said, right. To rent out because that's a piece of their business, but that has worked in our favor when their landlords and investors have wanted to sell 
they have offered them to us off market. And we've mm-hmm. got one of those properties that I was telling you about that third property in Tennessee that was not an auction. That was actually an investor that was tired of being an investor. And of course they want to keep it in their portfolio as a rental. So, and it needed to be a quick sale. So oftentimes they can offer it to other investors and that really worked in our favor. You know, you talk about how you get good deals and it's distressed sellers, distressed properties and distressed markets, right? Um, With those, with those auction properties, they're distressed properties, but this was a distressed seller. So um, we were able to come in and swoop in and without any rehab, we actually took 20% off the top. So we basically did a burr without the rehab and got 20% equity from the get and immediately refinanced and got all our money back. That's awesome. And were you able to use cash, I'm assuming, to purchase or did you? We did. And so, and I will say for just for the record, it's a home equity line of credit. We have a 10-year draw period. interest. Home equity line on your current property that allows you- Yeah, on our residence in California. So we have, so that way we have access to quick, cash, quote unquote, right? For deals like this and we can strike. So, and we have a 10 year draw period interest only. And then we have a 20 year repayment period, but none of that honestly matters because we're selling our house in a few years. So we're basically just using the equity in our house, sitting equity. I know some people have feelings about that, especially my parents, (laughs) (laughs) but, but for us, right, we want our money to make money. So if it's sitting in our house as equity, we have different feelings than other people. We want to use that and have our, have our money make money. So can we just slow down a little bit for people who may not understand this concept that you're talking about? So you, you've been paying your mortgage on your primary residence and there's been appreciation because California's, the market skyrocketing. So let's say your house was, when you purchased it, I'm making up these numbers. Let's say it was 300,000. But now we have it 600000 because of the market and you've been paying down yeah. the mortgage. So you have $300,000 to play with. So you take out a home equity line of credit right. and it's essentially like revolving credit. So you, you could take the money, use it towards whatever you want. The interest rate right. I'm assuming is a variable. So it's not fixed. But once you do, you purchase the next property. So you purchase in a property in Florida you do yeah. the rehab, you use all cash for the rehab, all cash to purchase, closing costs, everything. Yep. Find a tenant, you put the tenant in, then you go to a bank and say, okay, now I have a great property. You refinance right. into a fixed loan, so let's say a 30-year uh, mortgage, and then now you pull back out the original money that you put into the property because now you have, to, you essentially have about 20, 25% from the rehab that you did on this new place. So there's already equity in there. Maybe you leave a little bit in, on the table, but you take the rest out and then you put it back into your HELOC. So then you paid off your HELOC. Yes. Open, and then when you find the next property, you back and forth and you rinse and repeat. Yes. Jen, that was the best summary ever. <laughs> exactly right. We're just recycling the same capital over and over, but you are essentially able to get better deals, right? Because you can't buy at auction otherwise without the cash, quote unquote. And even when you're offering on MLS listings, sometimes the, the all cash offer is taken because um, you can close more quickly and you're seen as um, someone that's able to close for sure. You know, you don't have that financing contingency. So that's exactly right. We're financing, we're using the same capital over and over and putting it right back. So for a mom or a family or anyone out there who wants to get started with this, and I know obviously it depends on the market and a lot of other factors, but let's say you were going to invest in the South or Midwest where prices are a little bit 
better, I should say, than especially on the East or West Coast. Do you think having 100000 maybe, how much would you recommend for someone to have, not including an emergency reserve, but just so someone has a goal of how much they should save if they really want to use the strategy? Because to me, I love the birth strategy. Yeah. And I would almost rather wait an extra year or two have enough money to burr because then you're set up and you can continue with this rinse repeat versus buying cheap houses. But even if you buy a house for let's say 60,000 and you use a conventional loan, you're putting your 20% in. So let's say off 60,000, that's what $18,000, which is super cheap, but you don't get that $18,000 back. Well, it's assuming that's a good property and you don't need to do much rehab. So I'm just curious for someone who's looking to do the traditional way of you just buy a property, you get the conventional loan, you do maybe a little bit work, but you're leaving most of the money in versus this Burr concept where you get the money back out and you're continuing to repeat. What should be the estimated goal? Yeah. So I know that's a long question, so I'm sorry. No, no, no. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to simplify it slightly. So honestly, the first thing is to look at the market area where you want to go and what these home prices are, and then take 80% of that, right? Because what you're trying to find if you're burring is something that is, or 75%, 75% of that house. So if you're looking at houses that are $100,000, essentially you need to have 75, 80,000 in cash to play with, right? Because that's what you're trying to find in a property is something you're getting for 70, 75% of after repair value. All in, all in, right? So you would really want to find a property, let's say, for sixty thousand that you can then put twenty thousand in. So exactly. you're in for eighty, and then and it's a hundred thousand dollar property. So that's exactly right. So you would just you would need that eighty thousand ish to play with if you're looking at properties where the after repair value is a hundred. Um, and so that's just a really simplified way to look at it. If you're looking at different price points, great. Where those numbers make sense, right? Where the rent can cover that mortgage for you. So literally you would just take, you know, 80% to be 80, 85% to be conservative and have a little, little extra of whatever that after repair value is. And even in this current market where everything just seems to be going crazy, all market prices just seem off the charts, there's still deals out there, right? You know what? It's, it's harder to find, but there's still deals. And the thing is, as you, as people progress and learn and network, honestly, that's when more deals start to come to you and you don't have to work as hard to find them because you know, people who can find them. And so that's what we're finding, right? So like we got referrals from our property manager. Hey, do you want to buy this property? And then you might start to know wholesalers in the area. So as you progress, it becomes more about relying on people to bring them to you and your funnel just gets larger. And these are deals that, that are good deals that before you didn't even know about, but that's because they were going to other people. So, so that's part of it too, is just is really growing your network in certain areas to tap into to properties for sale that you didn't even know about. And then you can also have your, your own hustle, right? Like I talked about earlier about driving for dollars. You can convince someone to sell their house. So, and then you can, keep that extra change in your piggy bank if you just go through a title company and, and no one's paying commissions, right? So you can make the numbers work that way too if you're foregoing, you know, commission costs on, on both of your ends. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's deals to be had and, and sometimes it's creative. And so are you thinking of expanding your family? And if so, how do you see that impacting your investment strategy? Yeah, we definitely would, God willing, like another child or more children in a, in, in a couple years time. And I don't think it will affect our real estate. What I think 
we're going to do is maybe a few of these properties or will be our children's, right? Or they pay for the expenses. Maybe they pay for their college or they pay for their weddings or whatever. We're going to use that and it's going to be an integral part of our family's lives. And they're going to know my parents invest and this is how we have some of our income and this is how we support ourselves. And this is why my mommy and daddy have some flexibility in, in attending my events and maybe they don't work full time or however we decide to do that. They're, they're going to be knowledgeable and, and involved in, in our business. So are you working full time now? Currently? Yeah, I'm a nursing supervisor. I work full time. My husband's an operations manager. He works full time. And the goal is for sure to, to not have to do that in the future. If we want to, and we're passionate about it, excellent. But by 45, we're hoping that we, we are financially free. And by then, how many properties would you like to have? So I think that's a difficult question because we have different property values there that bring in different incomes. So I think it's more for us a question of what the income is per month that they'll bring in or free and clear as opposed to the number of units. So I think we're looking at the numbers, but it's probably somewhere between eight to 10 grand a month. We would be happy with our house paid off, with our primary house paid off. Yeah. Cool, Elise. Thank you so much for bringing all this knowledge and information. It was extremely valuable. But this part of our show, I like to transition into our lightning round. Well, I'm going to ask you the same four questions I ask all my guests. Question number one is, what is one fun fact about you that not many people know? Oh, I'm a twin with a boy. And everyone always asks us if we're identical, and I look at them strangely. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, we're not. <laughs> Is your brother into real estate too? No, he's not. We have different interests, and he's not there yet. I'll get him. Ah, there you go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Question number two is, who inspires you the most and why? You know what? My husband, not to be cliche, but he is so incredibly supportive and open-minded. And this has been an amazing journey. And part of that is because of him. That's really sweet. Okay. Question number three is what book are you reading now or have read and love that you'd recommend? I'm currently reading Long Distance Real Estate Investing by David Green. Go figure after six properties out of state. (laughs) I've already read his Burring book and then I loved it. So then I was like, I'm going to go read this other book. And we don't know everything. We're constantly learning. So even though, like I said, we have six properties out of state, I'm learning a little bit more. And he's, he's David Green is the man. You should, you should read, read his books. Awesome. I actually have, I'm in the middle of reading his Bird book and I read his long distance. Yeah. They're both fantastic. Yes. And we'll put those in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, the last question is, what is one actionable tip or piece of advice that you can tell our moms out there to help them on their financial independence journey? Yeah, write down your goals. I mean, and then and then break it down into smaller tasks or actionable steps because it's just an idea until you start, until you make it a goal and break it down and start working on it. It's just an idea. And so that's really helpful. Even for us, when we wanted to buy our property, we gave ourselves a timeline. We bought our plane tickets. We reached out. Uh, we started taking the small steps. And then at the end of the day, we hit our goal, right? So it's just breaking it down to help you get, get to your goal. Awesome. Well, Elise, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. How can my listeners connect with you? So I run our Instagram account at investing for financial freedom. I'm pretty active on there. My husband has a bigger pockets account that he's pretty active on. You can find him under Todd Rasmussen. 
I always spell my name, my last name, R-A-S-M-U-S-S-E-N. You can find me on Bigger Pockets. I also have an account. My first name is E-L-Y-S-E Rasmussen, but I'm not, I'm not active on there. <laughs> okay, well, awesome. Again, thank you, Elise. This was so informative. I really appreciate you uh, coming on today. Thank you so much, Jen. This was awesome. All right, that wraps up another amazing Investor Mama episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did like today's episode and the other episodes that have already aired, please go to the platform that you are listening to and subscribe. Also, if you wouldn't mind going over to Apple, just leave me a rating. It really, really helps get me on the Apple charts and go higher so that more people can hear the Investor Mama content. And I would just really appreciate it. I'll put a link in the show notes. And another reminder to go to investormama.com slash get educated, sign up for the mini course I'm putting together. It's going to be awesome if you're in debt or you're, you stress about money a lot or money's always on your mind. You definitely want to sign up for this course. It's going to be amazing. I promise you, I'm going to bring it. You won't regret it. I really want you to kick off 2021 new year, new you. Let's get your financial house in order. Let's get you in the right frame of mind so you can begin to knock out debt. You really won't want to miss this course. It's going to be three nights, eight o'clock PM Eastern Standard Time, January 5th through the 7th. Mark your calendars, go register. Again, it's going to be really, really great. And if you are in debt or money is just something that brings you anxiety, stress, you name it, any of those negative feelings, go go register. Go to InvestorMama.com slash get educated. You won't be sorry. So this is Investor Mama. Happy holidays to everyone. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Investor Mama podcast. If you like today's episode, please support us by clicking subscribe on the platform you are currently listening to, leaving a comment or awesome review, and spreading the wealth and sharing this podcast with friends and family or on social media. Don't forget to check out InvestorMama.com to connect with our community and sign up for our email. Stay tuned for next week's episode.